Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. What served me the best with financial self-care is knowing what money is coming in knowing what money is going out, relying on yourself on like that number and not having to rely on other people to take care of your family. So that financial self-care for me has been the empowerment that this budgeting and like growing my income to establish my family has caused me. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres, award-winning Latina personal finance expert. I didn't always have my financial shit together, but when I started looking for POC-friendly personal finance podcasts, I couldn't find any. And so Yo Quiero Dinero was born. On this show, I'll show you how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and most importantly, how to make it grow. Each week, I'm connecting you with the most brilliant minds in the world of money and business, so you can learn about investing, entrepreneurship, and building wealth. The best part? I'm dishing up all this knowledge with a sassy side of sazón. So if you're ready to be poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. Hola, mi gente. Welcome back to another episode of Yo Quiero Dinero, the podcast. This is your host, Janice, and you are listening to episode 105, How to Achieve Fire with a 9 to 5 with Everyday Finance Gal. Everyday Finance Gal is an anonymous blogger and financial independence educator that empowers the everyday person to build generational wealth. She does this by sharing actionable money moves on side hustles, budgeting, saving, paying off debt, and investing, as well as providing everyday financial literacy tips and sharing her personal wealth journey. Everyday Finance Gal is a single mom who immigrated to the United States when she was four. Her goal is not only to create generational wealth for her daughter, but also her parents, which she calls upstream and downstream generational wealth. 
She recently hit a seven-figure net worth milestone, and she's done this all while working a nine-to-five. So if you think that the financial independence movement is only for the wealthy or people who have businesses, I want you to stay tuned to this episode because we're going to talk about how you can achieve financial independence with a nine-to-five. Stay tuned. Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. All right. So today on the podcast, we have an anonymous guest, even though you can see her face, but we're not going to name names here because we're trying to uh, maintain her mystery, but I will let her introduce herself. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. So I'm everyday finance gal. So I work a nine to five. And so I'm trying to maintain anonymity online. So I appreciate that. Absolutely. So tell us who you are and kind of how you got into this personal finance space. You're one of the first Instagram accounts that I found that was sort of anonymous around financial independence. I love the detail of the information and the graphics and your vibe and everything. So that immediately drew me to you. But tell us kind of who you are and how you got here. Thank you so much. So I just turned 35. So I'm a 35-year-old single mom. I'm a divorced mom. I work in corporate banking. And I started this page to kind of share this financial journey with my daughter. My daughter's 11. My sister's in her 20s. So it was more of an outlet for them. And I've been working in corporate finance for 13 years now. And two years ago, I realized man, I don't know anything about personal finance and I don't have other income other than my job. My coworker of 17 years was fired 18 months ago. And so I took him out to coffee thinking, oh, he's probably so sad. Let me buy him coffee. Like we sat outside in our little courtyard. And he basically told me, he's like, I'm actually super happy because I have rental property and I have other sources of income. So he's like, actually, I'm going to take six months off He had three little ones at the time. And I was just like looking at him in amazement. And he told me, you used to make cake pops, which my sister and I used to make cake pops a couple of years ago, like seven years ago now. And he's like, you need to start diversifying your income because in a corporate job, these politics, you need to always assume you have a knife in your back. (laughs) And he's like, look at me, look what happened to me. Although it's great for me, but you only have one source of income. You are a single parent. So he just kind of, encouraged me in a way. And the next day I went home and I'm like, okay, what can I do? What do I love? I love money. I love learning about money. And I don't mean I love money in the sense of like, I covet money. I just want a bunch of it. But I grew up as an immigrant, right? We never had money. I love math. And I loved Instagram at the time. I was on Instagram all day and I was following all these influencers. And I was like, you know what? 
I know a thing or two about saving. At that time, I didn't know investing. I was like, I should share my tips with my sister and my daughter. So years later, if I forget things, they have this account to look to. I love that. I think so many of us start off on this journey, just kind of wanting to share what we're learning, our experience. And so I love starting off the interviews by finding out your backstory, right? So you mentioned you're an immigrant. We know based on like a lot of conversations that we've had on this podcast that immigrants have a very unique relationship with money. We learn a lot of negative things, it tends to be. So can you talk us kind of through your money story and what you saw growing up and how that influenced how you felt about money and how you feel about money today? Yeah, my parents moved here in 91. So I was four. I was just turning five. We borrowed $5,000. We had six suitcases with our bedding, basically, and our clothes. And we came and moved here with my cousins. They lived in a building and they helped us rent another unit. So money for me was always scarce. We never had enough money. My dad only worked growing up for the first 10 years. And they didn't know their way around this world here, but they came here to give us a better life. So it was always go to school, get a good job so that you can make money and you can have a better life than we had. And I know that's very similar, especially hearing your podcast too, with all your other guests. Like we all have this similar immigrant story and that hustle of the immigrant watching my dad. He was in the army in Armenia. So we're from Eastern Europe and coming here, picking up a new trade. He became a jeweler. He would go to our downtown, like jewelry district, seeing my mom at home, my grandparents in our house. We were a six person household. We rented a three bedroom home, like way over capacity, probably at the time. And I was the only one who knew English. So I was always involved in their money conversations. We had an increase in the rent and I was the one translating it. So from early on, I always knew, one, we don't have enough money, but we lived a great life. So it never really impacted anything. But two, money was something like very hard to attain. And when we attained it, we couldn't give it away. Like we had to save it. I learned a lot of banking from my mom. She would hoard money in a way. So we would save money. And those are kind of the things that I grew up with. Saving money, I have to get a good job so I can earn more money. But I never learned growing up how to spend money properly. So that was kind of like the fork in the road as I was growing up. I was trying to like look around me and figure out how are people spending money? But in that environment, none of us had money, so it didn't really matter. When I think back growing up, The only thing it did impact me was my confidence about money and my confidence of asking for help and asking for things I needed. Like, do you remember the Easy Bake Oven growing up? I loved that Easy Bake Oven, okay? And I always knew when we were at the store, like FAO Schwartz at the time in the Galleria, like I couldn't ask for things because I knew my parents would buy them for me. But I just felt like this burden of asking them. I knew they couldn't say no, but I thought I'm going to get a job so I can buy myself this Easy Bake Oven. I love it. Oh my gosh, I had an easy bake oven. That was like one of the best gifts ever. And I think that's so true to like first gen kids. Like we don't know how the hell our parents made what they had work, but they are like expert hustlers, like experts at stretching a dollar. And I think we have to use those skills more because there's just so much untapped power there. So I would love to know kind of As you grew up here, right, and you go to school, you work in finance, 
what was your money pattern like? How were you spending? How were you saving? Did you see what you learned growing up kind of manifesting itself in your own life? Yeah, it's been a journey in a way, but looking back, my spending habits were really good. I think good in the sense of I didn't really spend much. When my sister was born, she's seven years younger than me. When my sister got into school and my mom had all this time now, she started getting a job. My mom started to earn money. And I noticed that my mom, because back in the Soviet Union, like we didn't have chicken, we didn't have water. She started buying a bunch of things. She would go to stores and buy all these clothes and keep them in their tags. So she was spending in excess. And I remember thinking like, I'm not going to do that. Like, I need to be very careful with my money. So I was always very careful with my money growing up. And even till this day, I think it served me really well. I would say the best thing that has happened to me with my money journey is increasing my income. So because I wasn't a spender, I started to still grow my income in my job. And that's where I think the formula widened. Now I was earning money, but I wasn't spending it. My first bonus, my sister convinced me, she's like, you need to get a Chanel purse. Like you have this like real job now. And this is something that you can always point to. And I bought a Chanel purse. I think it was my entire bonus that first year. And I tie that Chanel purse. I had just gotten a divorce too, to my first bonus. And so I realized too, that I give value to each of the physical items I own. Like I remember who bought it for me who gifted it to me when I purchased it. So I realized I started giving material things that I spent money on, like this memory. And that's why it's been hard to get rid of things too. So that's another topic. But I would say I didn't spend frivolously, but I do have nice things. And it's been very helpful now to grow my income now. I'm like, okay, maybe I can start spending money. (laughs) I love it. Okay, so you are on the path to financial independence. And I'm curious how you got on that path, right? All of us have like this rabbit hole story. For me, it was buying a house, then realizing I was miserable, didn't want to be tied to 30 years of debt. And like, then finding out about fire through a podcast. What was your journey? Yeah. So when I first started my everyday finance scale account, that's when I was bombarded. When I started using the hashtags, Instagram started showing me things. And I think it was the young retirees post once of house hacking He had turned one of his spare rooms into a bedroom and he rented it out and reduced his mortgage. I was like, wait, what? This is possible? And then through that rabbit hole, I learned about Dave Ramsey. I never knew about Dave Ramsey because I was never really in debt debt. I only had student debt. So I started to learn about him. And that's when I discovered financial independence. And at that time, I remember I always had money in my checking and savings account. So I just spent it on things, which a lot of it was like eating out. But with financial independence, I realized, wait a minute, how much money am I spending all year? Because if I don't have to work until I'm 65, like maybe I'm not spending enough because in my mind, I thought I'm a saver, you know? So I did that calculation, Janice, and I realized every month I'm bleeding an extra $500 out and I had just bought a house. But the thing is, I always had money in my account and I didn't do anything with it. It like stayed in my savings account. So I just thought I was good. But I'm so glad I found fire when I did because this, my heart sunk because I had just bought this house and I was thinking, oh no, did I buy too much house? But no, it was calculating the financial independence number made me realize like, wait, you thought you're good, but there's a lot of fat to trim right now. (laughs) 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. I can so resonate with that story because I always had money in savings, right? I was never a person to be like overdrafting a bank account or like not being able to pay it back. But I also just felt like I was on this hamster wheel. Like Mm -hmm. it was just never progress. It was just kind of staying stuck there. So did you feel that way? Yes. Because I just thought like, okay, what next? I came to a point right before I bought this house where I saved $170,000 and I worked at a branch before. So I already knew, okay, FDIC insurance stops at 250000 So like, what am I supposed to do with this money? How much more, right? Like that hamster wheel is so, so true for me too. And when I look around, like you did, all your family, my family saying, buy a house. You could touch it, feel it. Like nobody had stock. So I bought my house in 2018. Thankfully, I bought way, way below what I got approval for. And then 2019, I learned about fire. So just a year, but got it. it's been a good purchase on paper. I mean, it's appreciated like $300,000, but well, damn, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's been an interesting ride so far. Yeah. So, okay. We got to take a step back because you said you saved $170,000 and people listening to this might be like, how the F did you do that? (laughs) So let's talk about it because I think that's an amazing accomplishment. Thank you. I never really sat and thought about this, but it was really because I was growing in my career and I was earning annual bonuses and I would just save the annual bonus. I was renting at the time and it was right after I'd gotten a divorce. So My family, similar to Hispanic families too, right? We have lots and lots of gatherings. So when you get a divorce, like those parties split in half. Okay, so I was saving money there. You're not feeding three people anymore. You're feeding two. We rented an under market. My landlord, wonderful Christian man, like he was so gracious. He even reduced my rent a little bit. And again, I wasn't tracking. I was just saving. Growing up, I'd always save 20%. So for four or five years, I saved my entire bonus. And at that time, I was growing in my career and my bonuses were quite chunky. And so that's how I got to the 170. Okay. This principle called like lifestyle inflation, right? A lot of us fall victim to this idea that as we make more money, that just means that we're supposed to spend it. And if you're okay now and the lights aren't being shut off and you got food in your fridge, do you really need to spend that money? No, you can save it. And then it's about taking it to the next level, right? And so let's talk about kind of your journey from becoming a just a super saver to now becoming somebody who is investing and pursuing financial independence. Yeah. So how did you start to put those things in motion? And one more comment on the money. I just did 170 divided by four years. That's 42,000 a year. So it's about 3,000 a month. So it's not outrageous, I guess, if people have money to save too. But yes, I was not investing it. So It started, again, through this debt-free community where I noticed people are talking about a Roth account, are talking about a brokerage account. And my coworkers, I've heard them talk about a brokerage account, but I always thought like, oh, that's for the rich people. Like, they're probably paying some advisor a lot of fees. Again, I don't want to spend money on fees. Like, I don't want to spend money at all. Like, my parents always said the stock market is where money goes and gets lost, right? So we were always scared of it. But it was through education. It was through seeing people that looked like me or that sounded like me. So most of them were anonymous when I joined because we were all sharing our numbers. And there was a sense of like, we have to maintain, you know, some anonymity. But hearing people talk about the Roth and then now I knew what to search for. Sometimes it's like you don't know what you don't know. So now I knew what I didn't know. 
So then it was easier to start looking things up. And it was a little embarrassing because, again, I'm in finance. I help large businesses finance their like business growth, but I didn't know my own. And everything I learned, I kept translating it to like, okay, so a big corporation is doing this. A big corporation has a budget. Why don't I have a budget? A big corporation gets loans from the bank to buy another company. Why don't I get a loan from the bank to buy? Like, why is debt so bad, right? And so uncovering these and learning these things for me was the most helpful, tying it back to why a corporation does this beneficial for a corporation and not me. Well, one of those things is taxes, like, you know, W2 employee gets really screwed on taxes. Corporations don't. So all these things, one by one, it was like these bricks were being built. It was just starting to make sense. I'm curious if you had the experience that I did when I first found out about FIRE, which was just like, I cannot believe that this is something that people are doing and I didn't know about it. Like I was angry yeah, because I felt like I should have been learning about this. Like what emotions did you feel initially when you encountered this alternate reality? Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store shop phase to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dinero, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dinero now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dinero. For me, I wasn't angry. I was angry at myself because we keep saying in this debt-free community, like schools don't teach this. But you know what, Janice? Like they do teach this. But it's this thing where it's, I saw this quote, when the student is ready, then the teacher appears. So if you're not willing to hear, like I remember 2008, right when I got my job, my coworker was reading four hour work week. He recommended the book to me and I was like, four hour work week, that's for lazy people. Okay. I read that book two years ago and it changed my life. And I thought, man, 
I knew about that book in 08, but I didn't read it. I knew about these stocks, but I'd never looked into it because I was too scared. So it's for me, it was not that why didn't anybody tell me, but it was more why didn't I pay attention? So my experience is a bit different, but the same. It's like I was angry at myself. No, I can absolutely resonate with that too, right? Because it takes some level of taking accountability for the fact that either you chose not to explore something like I feel like we just all need to be more curious in general. And just like, if there's something that you don't understand, go and learn about it. Don't wait for somebody to come and fix it for you. That's uh, the level of individuality that personal finance requires, because we all have to figure out what's going to work for us. So you're pursuing financial independence. What does that look like strategically? What percentage of your income are you investing? And what does your timeline and your FIRE number look like? I started to track that the first year I was investing because accounts like my wealth diary were tracking it. And I was like, I want to track this too. I thought I was investing 20%, but some months I was saving and investing 60%. So it just depended on the month. Like when property taxes were due, oh, 0%, you know. <laughs> but my goal is to save 30% every month, save and invest 30%. I do that through low cost index funds. I get nervous calculating my year. My thought is by 45, I'll get there. However, my expenses always trip me up. So I have a full year of expenses last year. And Janice, I thought I spent like 60,000 a year. I'm thinking my mortgage. I spent $100,000 last year. Okay. So I'm just like, wait a minute. So 100 times 25. So now my fire number is 2.5. So I'm just thinking my first 100 took me about 14 months to get to. But in the last year, my net worth grew by $300,000. So I know I'll get there faster, but I try not to time the market in that way because we don't know what's happening. We don't know there's going to be a quarantine. Like I try to control things I can control, which are how many months I invest. So I'm tracking to investing one day a month. I'm trying to build small habits so I can control the days I invest. So I'm going to do that. And then I track it on my page for motivation. I realize sometimes it's a little overwhelming to see these people with big numbers so I'm like, I saw on Tay's journey, she'll just do investing days. I'm like, that's perfect. If somebody can invest one more day, then I think that'll help. So hopefully by 45, I might get to that number. And you are too, I think, right? With your engineering background that I'm always like, well, there's inflation. Is 4% enough? Like, what if I get married? So there's so many variables. I'm just trying to focus on things I can control today. Yeah. For me, the traditional fire formula just doesn't work for me because I'm never going to be a person that's going to rely on a single income source, even if that is my investments, right? So I will always be side hustling. I will always be some sort of entrepreneur. I will always have some kind of passive income. That to me is sort of a protection against things like a pandemic or something else that could happen in the market. So I'm curious, well, you mentioned before that your coworker told you it's so important to have these diverse income streams. So are you building that into your own path? And what does that look like? Yes. So I had only one source of income before <laughs> my pretty high paying nine to five. Now I have about 10 and that includes dividends because I started investing, but the biggest one and the one that I'm most proud of now is a digital course on Instagram growth. So the way you're doing it too, it's like trying to have these digital courses where I can control my income. Maybe I run a sale this month and I get another $500. Like I want to be able to control where I'm earning my income from. So definitely part of my journey now. And then I'm also looking at you for your blog, trying to create this blog for the next three or four years to start creating passive income there. So that's definitely part of it. 
And then I always have to take a step back, Janice, and just think like, what am I doing this for? I can resonate with your story. Like I'm a workaholic in a way, right? I was up until 2 a.m. working on something yesterday. I'm just, but I love it. The summer's with my daughter. I have her full time, but she's 11, seven years until she's 18, right? Like time is so precious. Like, am I really willing to sacrifice that time? And how much of it am I willing to trade off? Am I willing to sacrifice my health? I had to take therapy last year for the first time. And it's just like, what's the most important to me? How much of my health, spiritual wealth is worth this? But definitely diversifying it has helped me. And then hot off the press, I just got off the phone with my boss. I know this is going to be released later, but I just got promoted from VP to director. Congratulations. And if I'm honest, I'm kind of scared because I'm like, man, what if I wanted to leave? And now they've kind of solidified it a bit more. I don't know. Maybe I can toss that back to you on how you dealt with that. But That's a normal feeling. And I think it's one of the things that accelerated my own decision to leave because I knew that I was on that path to essentially like replacing my manager at some point. And I saw the life that she was living, like working seven days a week, working on vacation, working 12, 14 hour days. And I was like, no. I will not be signing up for this. There is no amount of money that is worth this level of sacrifice, especially for something that I know I don't want to do long-term. If it was something that I was like super passionate about and I could see myself doing it for 20 something years, then sure. But just facing what was my future, I was like, oh, hell no, not going to (laughs) work. Yeah, same. And my boss, he's a man. He has a wife with three kids, right? So he has somebody doing the house stuff. Whereas I'm doing both and I can't help but be bitter when I watch my coworkers like wives who are stay at home. And I'm just like, man, I'm doing both of these things. Must be nice, like envious, but you can't help it. Right. And it's like, I don't want to work on my vacation. I do want to be able to commit time. So I always have to look at it holistically. And to your point, diversifying my income is the only way I can gain comfort. Absolutely. And I think it speaks to this idea that we have to be very intentional about our journey to financial independence. Because if we're just focused on that end result and then making the whole experience to get there miserable, it's not going to even feel joyful once you get to that place because you're just going to be so exhausted and spent that you might even regret taking that all that time to achieve this goal. So I love that you're taking sort of a multi-pronged approach to it, but you're always remembering that if something gets to the point where it's just too much, You're building the ability to walk away if you have to. I think especially it's so admirable that you're doing this as a single mom, because I think a lot of people cannot even fathom trying to pursue financial independence while raising a child alone. And so I'd love to hear kind of your words of encouragement, right? For other moms that are listening to this, especially single parents that are like, is this even something I can do? Yeah. I would go with the pros and cons. So the easy stuff about being a single parent, because I've done both, I was married, right? So I can get to a decision more quickly if I want to do something. So if I want to save money, I don't have to convince other people in the household. So that part has been easy. I'm not spending as much. We're a family of two. I don't want to say this. Sometimes eating out is cheaper than (laughs) buying groceries. It's not healthy. So you can make these different decisions versus a nuclear family. The hard parts, absolutely. I can't leave the house without having somebody to watch my daughter. And so having my parents 
And maybe this is not unique to immigrant families. My parents are three miles away. So they've helped me so much. And the ability to ask for help, I would encourage all of us to really evaluate what we're doing and ask for help and use this money as a tool to buy time or to buy help or to buy conveniences. And then I would say find a group of other single parents, single moms, if you're a mom. I find we have a lot in common that we can't share with other people. And there's unique things that other people might not understand. So find that group of people or even one person that you can just talk to and vent with. I think those have been the best. I belong to a local church, so there's a group of a community of women there too. So find your people. Yeah, that's such an important part of this whole personal finance journey in general is finding community. So I'm curious, what does financial self-care look like for you? Yeah, my mom and my dad have now bought their burial lands. So for them, financial self-care was, we don't want you guys to worry about us when we pass. Financial self-care for me includes that too. It's that upstream helping them even in their retirement. It's a holistic self-care. It's not just me as myself. It's helping my parents, but also putting myself in a position that my daughter doesn't have to take care of me. So that big picture, I think, is all included in my self-care. And then daily, how that looks is my health. I'm trying to invest now in my health. So using finances to make sure I just ordered a Peloton. It's coming tomorrow. So (laughs) like truly take care of my health. But ultimately for me, I would think what served me the best with financial self-care is knowing what money is coming in, knowing what money is going out, relying on yourself on like that number and not having to rely on other people to take care of your family. So that financial self-care for me has been the empowerment that this budgeting and like growing my income to establish my family has caused me. So I don't know if that answered your question. (laughs) I love that perspective, honestly, because nobody has ever answered that question in that way. But it speaks to this idea that like by preparing ourselves to financially be able to support the people that we love, we're actually doing ourselves a huge service of easing the shit that comes along with like knowing you have those responsibilities, right? Like those types of scenarios, planning for long-term care or for funerals, the things that we know are going to happen in life, if you can take that stress away from yourself, you can actually go through the process of just grieving without having to worry about the money because then that just adds this whole other dimension of trauma that we really don't need. It's already traumatic enough. So I love that answer and I hope that that resonates with a lot of people because that's powerful. So thank you for sharing that. So I'm a big believer in mindset work, you know, manifestation, meditation and things like that. And so I'm curious, do you have any money mantras? And if so, like, what's your favorite? My biggest money mantra is I am a steward of this money. So I'm Christian. I believe everything I own, whether it's my abilities, my physical ability, my work, it's all from the Lord. So like the money I even have today is I'm a steward of it. So being a good steward of money, being responsible for it to one, take care of my family, but also bless others around me, that gives me comfort. And for some reason, I do a better job of managing other people's things than my own things. So if I know I am entrusted with somebody else's things, like I'm going to take better care of it and grow it better. There's a parable in the Bible that says like this farmer left and gave like coins to three different people and gave the same amount of coins to these people. He left. And when he came back, 
One person took the coins, started a business and gave the guy back tenfold what he gave him. The other guy started another business, gave him back fivefold. The other one said, hey, I know you were going to get worried. So I just put your money under the mattress like that equivalent. And so here's the money you gave me, though. And he's like, hey, because you weren't wise with the money I gave you, you're no longer going to be in charge of this money. I'm going to give it to these people who can grow this money. And I never understood that. I was like, man, but look at all the risk these guys took. But the truth is that I don't own my money, so I need to be a good steward of my money. So that's my mantra. Mm, I love that. That is so powerful. Okay, so I'd love your final thoughts for someone who is ready to either gain control of their financial situation, get off the fence when it comes to investing or pursuing financial independence. Like, What words of encouragement do you have? You've got this. Like, Don't worry about the stuff that's happened already. We may have made those decisions, but we may not have fully understood it. So you can't go back and worry about those things. But what we can do is worry about today. And what we can do is at least know the money that's coming in and the money that's going out. So take one actionable step today. Look at last month's bank account statement. See where your money went and know where it's going. I think that's the first step. First, know where it's going, and then you'll increase your money and see where it can go later. But Don't be discouraged is what I would say. I love it. Can you let us know where to find you on social and how we can work with you, et cetera? Yes. Thank you so much. So I'm on Instagram at Everyday Finance Gal. And then my blog is everydayfinancegal.com. I'm all over these Instagram streets. I'm trying to grow and add value to people. I do limited coaching for specific questions. And I have an Instagram growth course to grow your side hustles. So you could find me there or in my DMs. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge. Thank you so much for being in this space. I can't wait to continue to follow your journey and hopefully one day celebrate your financial independence. Thanks for being here. Yay. Thank you so much, Janice. I appreciate it. So to get your copy of the Financially Lit Latina, just head over to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start. That's YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa.
On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated contents constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.